Hello and welcome to Is This Room Free? My name is Martin Drake and I'm an ex-HR professional who is now the founder and managing director of Hire People, a recruitment business that is raising the standards in the way recruitment agencies operate. In this podcast, I will be talking to HR professionals and listening to the stories of their careers. I will be finding out about the journeys they have taken and what they've learned along the way. The purpose is to help others in the profession identify and understand the various paths available and take inspiration from my guest speakers. Whether you are someone who is looking to get that first step on the HR career ladder or an aspiring HR director, I hope you get value from my conversations. So, without further ado, let's get on with the show. Hello once again. Today, I have Deborah Mowbray joining me. Deborah has been working at the senior HR business partner level for the last four years. However, she has also spent her professional career working exclusively within major global brands. I was therefore keen to not only understand how she operates as a senior HR BP, but what it's like working for organisations like this. Deborah shares with us her story from getting on the graduate programme at Harrods to taking a role in a slightly more entrepreneurial environment that will help her take a next step, which will be head of HR. We talked through how learning a gold standard of HR early on gave her the discipline for the rest of her career, but how it's also important that you always stay authentic. There's plenty of great learnings and takeaways from our chat, so I hope you all enjoyed listening. Hi everyone, thank you for joining me once again. Uh, This week's guest is, I'm going to introduce her as uh, Mrs Brand, because she has worked through her career of just working for amazingly high-profile brands. Um, and that's part of the reason of, of in, inviting her on. So I'm going to hand over to you. I'll let you do your, your own introduction, but I'm going to call you Mrs Brand. <laughs> Thank you, Martin. So um, I am uh, Deborah Mowbray, and I am the Senior HR Business Partner for Pentland Chaucers Limited. We are also known as Lacoste Footwear. So we are the designers and the developers of all the uh, footwear items that you see across the the globe. Fantastic. We had a funny introduction, didn't we? Um, We, you and me met because we were both on a, um, a, like a networking um, webinar session. And I just really love the enthusiasm, um, the um ideas that you brought to that group so we had to do a bit of kind of um kind of group session work didn't we and then we hooked up kind of separately and I didn't really know about your profile at, at that point um and we got talking and you told me all these amazing things and I was like you need to come on my podcast please please so and here we are a couple of weeks later so thank you very much for um for joining me so thank you for having me I want to go kind of back to the beginning, really. Um, now, you did a degree in theology, which is an interesting one to, um, to, to take up at university. So why did you do that? And, and how have you gone from theology to getting into HR? So uh, interestingly, I wasn't actually uh, planning on doing a theology degree. My plan was always to go into psychology However, I missed the grades to get into um, to Birmingham University, and that was really where I wanted to, to be. So on the day of my A-level results, when I found out that I didn't get into to do psychology, 
my amazing parents drove me up the M1 uh, straight to Birmingham to understand what my options were. And the admissions officer who we spoke to said, look, you don't have the grades for psychology, but we do have a place in uh, the theology department. Uh, and would you be interested? Now, um, I have always had an interest in religion. I grew up in a Jewish household um, and a lot of that, my identity um, does have religious undertones. So it was a natural um, alternative for me to, to, to consider. Um, and, and what's interesting, and I, I, I'm sure I'll come to talk about my, um, my time in, in all roles, but what was interesting, particularly in my role at Harrods, is as, as I had the opportunity to meet with uh, Mohammed Al-Fayed um, during my time there. And it was exactly the question he asked me as well around why it was, like, why, why, why am I working, why did I do a degree in theology and now want to work in HR? And it was actually him who who understood there is a, a real inextricable link between theology, culture and people and why there was um, a natural progression for me to, to, to move into a people-orientated profession. Okay, so there's, it wasn't one of those degrees where you came out and then you got into your kind of vocation and, and really you look back and think, well, my degree didn't provide any sort of platform for it. Actually, you can... Although it's um, not an obvious link, there is a, a link there of how that has, has been able to kind of help you through your professional career as well. Exactly. And I've always had uh, opportunities to, to lead people. I, I've, I've worked in various youth movements and, and led, um, I've led groups and things. So I've always had a, a people orientation to, to, to parts of my life. Um, and I think I was of a generation where, you know, going to university to get a good degree in any um, in any subject was important. I think I think that's changed now. Um, and I did have that moment when, you know, towards the end of my degree where I thought, OK, I've had a lot of fun here. But what what is my next what is my next move? Um, and actually, it wasn't it wasn't straight into HR at all. The, the, the plan was to was to apply for graduate schemes. Um, and where I where I started was in that retail management graduate scheme um, at Harrods, because, again, it was it was very much what was uh, available at the time for, for people like myself who wasn't going to study law or, or medicine or uh, a, a, an ongoing profession was was to, was to build on the skills I had learned in my in my childhood really about um, leading people. Um, so, so retail management was was a very um, helpful next step for me. Actually, was it seen so? You kind of leaving university. You're um, consciously focused on going down the, the grad um, grad program route. Um, when you're kind of applying for those roles, um, I mean, Harrods is an unusual one. It's not. It's not one that you'd naturally think would have a graduate management program within it but I, I also imagine it's one that a lot of people would probably apply to because of the the pull of the brand of, of being Harrods and so unique and, and different to a you know a BP or a 
Johnson and Johnson or whoever it, it may be. Um, so I'm, in, I'm interested in kind of what you might not even remember. It was a long time ago. Um, what was the kind of the, the pull of, of that role? Um, was there any specifics around it? Was it competitive through the kind of the graduate management program? Um, and was it was it geared towards specifically retail? Because a lot of graduate programs can put you across kind of different departments, so you get a kind of a flavour of each before um, realizing what you're good at. Was this one all geared up to specifically retail? Yes. So, so it's interesting. I do remember that time of my life very vividly because I was getting rejection after rejection for some of the more it's hard, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. The, the to, there's been so many guests on here, more at the, at the kind of, they're at the early stages in their career where it's quite fresh for them. But I've just heard so many say how, you know, it wasn't anything I even ever considered really, probably because I didn't have the grades for it. When I left university, I wasn't the most conscientious student at uni, um, which is fine because my mum doesn't listen to this podcast. Um, but I've just heard so many people say how, bloody hard it is and how it's just rejection after rejection after rejection and um and a lot of them don't realize there are other alternatives to to the graduate route exactly and and I it was a very very tough time and and I was applying essentially for the wrong positions I was applying to the Proctors and Gambles Unilevers and I just didn't have the um the the the, the mathematic uh, verbal reasoning skills of, of really, really high quality candidates that that they needed, and why why I realised that having had some retail experience and knowing that I like leading teams, this felt like a very natural step. That being said, I still got rejected from the likes of John Lewis, Arcadia, um, and it was actually at the Debenhams Graduate Scheme Assessment Centre that somebody approached me and said that I've, I've heard on the grapevine that Harrods are, are opening up a, a, a graduate scheme as well. So that evening I sent my, I sent over my, my CV and, and, and the rest is history, as they say. I can imagine that. You can hear it rushing home that evening and straight yeah. on the computer to apply for it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. What was the assessment centre like? Um, for Harrod specifically, and again, a, a, a big piece of advice to, to everybody who, who's in that uh, graduate position is apply for everything because every time you've gone to one assessment centre and failed, there's something that you've learned for the next one. So by the time I was sat in the Harrods assessment centre, I had been to several others. So my my game uh, w- w- was was polished by that stage. And I realised what the techniques were. So there was um, a team exercise where I very quickly took the lead and showed that the skills of leadership that they were after. I made sure I engaged with everybody. that I didn't interrupt because I remember receiving feedback from I think it was from John Lewis, actually, that I had a tendency to, to interrupt. So I learned all those things and I really applied them to um to that assessment center and and I also remember in the interview and it's something which which I've really tried to hold on to um throughout my career is 
I remember being sat in the interview and them asking me um, you know, questions about who I was and, and, and my, my personality. And I, I was very honest and I, I believed it was important to be myself. Um, and, and, I, and I think that's been a big key to my success of being true to, to who I am and the decisions that I make. It's like it's basically like playing the game, like going enough of them. You'd learn from every failing to to almost not be your true self, but to be the person that they want to see so that you tick the boxes. Yeah. Yeah. And there's only so long you can um, be perceived to be a certain way before it becomes inauthentic as well. And so I think that I you know, whilst I've always strived to be as best as I can be and learn from my mistakes, that um, I still take, I still um, stay true t- to myself. Cool. Okay. So you obviously did something, right? You got the job. <laughs> <laughs> so talk me through kind of how you securing that that role in the kind of the retail graduate program then got you to HR. So the graduate scheme was um, you know, a fast track program to becoming a, a retail manager. So what that meant was we spent you know, two or three months in various departments. And the, the final department that we were going to spend our, our graduate scheme in was a head office department. So you know, 75% of the program was on the shop floor. So I worked in everything from sportswear to ladies fashion to the uh, the merchandise and the tourist uh, departments, which were, uh, you know, really, really fun. And then just before the uh, support placement, we had interviews for the departments that we wanted to, uh, to work in. And I put myself forward for the HR and learning and development department. So I had an interview for both positions. And I actually was offered a, a position in both departments and I was given the option to choose which one I wanted. And what was interesting at that stage was I had done um, a, a work experience placement when I was at uh, a, a university in, a, in an accountancy firm supporting an HR manager that felt very much like um moving paperwork I think I think I think one of my jobs was to um tidy up files and things personnel exactly a real personnel role and um I in the interviews for for both of those positions in the graduate scheme I, I I was I was of the the view that the HR particular placement would be much more around personnel and having had that experience in 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 youth work that I mentioned earlier what I had seen in the learning and development function was pulling on those skills that I really really enjoy performing so the the the, the, this particular program was to lead the employee induction which was a a staged performance basically so the, the 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 position was to induct 90 people in an auditorium for three days a week for for three months which was my absolute calling um, and the the learning and development team at Harrods was was and still is one of the best teams I've ever worked in so it was a, a no-brainer for me to take that position 
Um, and that really was where it all began for me because I, I came off the graduate scheme and, and stayed in the learning and development team on a permanent basis after that. Okay. Okay. So it did make me laugh then as well. We were just saying that that was like the role. For me. I could just imagine being quite theatrical on the stage doing these inductions for some reason. And, 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 and Harrods is all about theatre. That really is um, such an intrinsic part of its, of its DNA. A lot really? of actors will work on the shop floor in between their West End performances. So it, you know, whilst I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not a drama professional, I, I really do enjoy presenting um, and, and leading, leading teams. So um, it, it, it didn't even occur to me that was really a profession until I saw it come to life in that team and I'm just so thankful for having had that opportunity because it's springboarded everything for me really was it was it a unique environment to work in because you know Harrods is a um you know it's a it's an institutional brand really isn't it within the UK is you know I'm not asking for any kind of deep dark secrets because I don't expect you to do that but what is it like you did you, you know you mentioned that you met um Mohammed Al-Fayed while you were working there was it a you know celebrities kind of coming in and was it a, a bizarre place to to work it was amazing um it, it, in so many ways it was the gold standard of so many elements of of hr certainly so i learned and and in a later position i worked in you know i really learned the graft of high volume hr in, in, a, in a really great way. And yeah, the, the early days of working on the shop floor, I served Simon Cowell, I saw um, Chris Evans, I saw Noel Gallagher. I mean, every day was just such fun. And, and being on the graduate scheme as well was the icing on the cake because we were basically students trying to extend that university experience. And, and because we worked in shifts, we had the benefit of on a Wednesday night, knowing we didn't have to work the next day, you know, going down to, you know, South Ken to, to some of the nightclubs and really, you know, making the most of it. So I was so lucky to have been on the graduate scheme for such an incredible institution. And, and, and they pride themselves on excellence, which gave me such a fantastic foundation to, to leadership and, and certainly to, to the practices within HR. I was going to ask you that because you, you kind of referenced it um, a couple of minutes ago. Was it a an environment where um, you really learned the best practice methodologies that then set you up for the rest of your career? I mean, have you got into other places since and, and kind of almost looked at that and going, well, that's not the gold standard that I'm used to and then bringing some of that background into those roles that you've done yeah I do think I've been fortunate to have started there in what was and probably hopefully still is such an established institution to teach me the gold standard I was also um extremely inspired by the HR director Sarah Andrews I believe she's still there because what she um led was uh, a team of highly motivated, highly skilled HR professionals. And, and she, she demonstrated 
uh, true leadership in the way that she gave us all a voice. We used to have these beautiful breakfasts on a quarterly basis up in the Georgian restaurant with the most incredible pastries, as you can imagine. And we'd all sit together and she would really listen to what everyone wanted to say. And she was also such an important figure for us during the graduate program. So uh, having such an inspiring HR leader in the early stages of my career also set me up for for success. Okay. Right. Here's a question. Then. So why would you define it as being gold standard in terms of the, the processes and the practices there? What what defines gold standard to anywhere else? Because, the, the, you know, there'll be people listening to this thinking, well, what's gold standard? You know, how how is giving maternity advice different on a gold standard level to to what I'm doing? And, and I'm, I'm being maybe a little bit flippant there with, you know, maternity advice. But what is how do you define it being gold standard? What does that mean to you? It's it's multifaceted. So there is the gold standard of people. So I think at the time I was working with exceptional people who worked to such high standards. And the another element that I think shows how much of a, of a high regard uh, certainly the HR team was was the processes themselves were were established. So when I when I went into the the HR shared service, we you know we had to make sure our correspondence, our letters, our policies were um, absolutely perfect. So some some people may have found that particular way of working quite stifling or micromanagement, but for me in those early years, it was so important to have somebody to really take me through those complex HR matters and help me to write and craft um, letters. So I think the gold standard for me is uh, to, to be a team who are highly respected because they, they work to such high, you know, such a high level and to, um, to, to take great care with, with process. I think you've raised a really good point there. For me, standards is is kind of the the word that stuck out of what you said and it made me reflect back on on kind of my career and um when I started out in in recruitment as a graduate um did I have a great work ethic probably not I think you know in my in my life in my school reports everything always said you know Martin has great potential if only he applied himself and that that was consistent on every single report card that ever came home um and then I I kind of I think it was about my yeah my second recruitment job um I was micromanaged really micromanaged um but he the the manager of the branch did it to instill a specific work ethic in me. And I look back and I've, I've said this for years that, do you know, it was, it was really hard, but he ingrained in me not to cut corners. He made yeah. me do the things that I knew I should be doing, but sometimes I took my foot off the gas and thought, I, don't, I can get away with just doing it this way today. 
and he'd pull me up. He'd, he'd, he'd spot it straight away and he'd pull me up on it. He'd walk over um, and say, you didn't do that. Why? And I, I couldn't have an excuse. I, my only excuse was because I couldn't be asked. That, that was the only excuse I could have um, of why I didn't do something that I knew I should have done. And he wouldn't accept it. So it made me have these really high standards that I had to achieve daily, but then that actually stuck with me and, you know, instilled in me a great, great work ethic. So maybe that kind of aligns to what you said, but the the thing that stood out then of what makes something gold standard, yes, bringing great people in, but those those great people generally are great because they have great standards and yeah, they can have commercial nous and great interpersonal skills and great, you know, influencing negotiation skills, whatever it may be, but I bet they've all got a standard that they will not let slip. And they go, this is the level I operate at. You either get up to this level or you're not going to fit here. Exactly. Exactly. And, and as I said, was the perfect foundations for me. Um, and that had I, had I worked somewhere else, of course, I would have eventually got there. Um, but I think any, any, any chance that somebody can have to work in an established HR function um, will, will set them up for success in, in a very unique way. Here's a slightly philosophical question for you. And I don't necessarily know if, um, I don't think there's a right or wrong to this. I'm just interested in having a slight debate with you now then. Do you think it's quite good to be micromanaged at the early stages of your career rather than be given, give them be given too much autonomy of just kind of finding your own way? Because do you think it, for me, I would say actually reflecting back on my career, Yes, I've always had autonomy, but actually that that rigidity that I had for the first couple of years gave me the toolkit that I needed to go on and be successful. So actually, I, I think being micromanaged at the early stages when I was I was a bit probably a bit too fresh um, into the kind of workplace gave me as an individual exactly what I needed to to succeed. Mm. Without looking up micromanagement in the dictionary, it's hard to know, it, it's, hard to know it's it's real. It, but you get the concept. Definition. Yes, and and I and I think that there is um, a way in which you can micromanage or manage someone closely that gives them the confidence to to pry and test the waters and to. Um, to, to, to trust them with that, but also that you're imparting your experience and your knowledge um, so that they're not left to their own devices. So often we often we think micromanagement isn't a good thing because you feel like you have somebody watching over your shoulder or questioning your every move, and that can be stifling. What I think is useful in those early years as somebody that is going to give you direct feedback who is going to to say to you sometimes actually this is the way you're supposed to do things because you're not expected to know uh, everything or, or or certainly anything um in those early years and why having someone to to give you that direct feedback is is really important 
I think we've we've now just kind of taken off the top layer of an onion there, haven't we? And there's so many layers <laughs> underneath it that we could keep on going. Yeah, I just maybe it is about you know giving somebody a structure and a framework in those early days that guidance um but at the same time you know we learn best from the mistakes that we make so giving people that that kind of freedom to to make mistakes that they will learn from but but aren't going to be kind of fundamentally horrific and um mm. disastrous in in the workplace okay so you've then stepped up to an opportunity i'm guessing came up to transition from lnd into hr your hr advisor um that's where you i'm guessing kind of uh, became more operational in in terms of you know thinking from an lnd administrator probably more kind of transactional um orchestrating coordinating things as you moved into uh, am i right did you then move into more of an operational type role Yeah, exactly. So at the time, we had an HR business partner set up. So the HR function was decentralised. And I was the HR advisor for the the back office um, staff. So it was was everything from the marketing teams through to the cleaners, security, um, and actually gave me my first exposure to to a unionised way of working as well so having union reps in in disciplinary meetings um so that was a really really um exciting role and one that gave me the the, the first insight into an hr generalist position i don't know why i'm i'm slightly surprised that there was unions at harrods i don't know why i just wouldn't have expected trade unions to have existed in in there yeah yeah and it was it was really really eye-opening to to the process uh, because to start your HR journey with you know with unions it's probably a lot easier than the other way around so I was really thankful for that and then after about a year and a half we went into uh, a reorganization that meant uh, an HR shared service was set up so we moved from that decentralized model to the centralized model and we all work together as HR advisors, take calls from the floor and from anybody on HR on HR matters. I'm going to ask you a very direct question now. Which did you prefer? The centralised yeah, shared service or the kind of getting out operational side? It was definitely decentralised. Um, so, so working in a business partnership model was definitely my preference. I didn't like being behind... Uh, a phone or a headset I much preferred being uh, the face of HR when people could come and knock on our door and and come and chat to us and and I think was one of the uh, the first times I really thought about um, what type of HR career do I want to have here Um, and it was it's what's led me to working in uh, much smaller HR functions than perhaps the you know, 100 team plus yeah. shared service in other organisations. Was that the trigger point then for you to start to look externally out of Harrods then? It was, it was. And I I, I was approached about the HR role at McDonald's at the time, which I knew would enable me more opportunity to work up to becoming a, a business partner um, and why that was a, a, a very natural next step for me. 
Okay. Talk to me, because McDonald's obviously is an organisation. Um, my knowledge of them is um, franchises, but then kind of regional um, McDonald's own offices. So educate me on kind of the McDonald's that you worked for. <laughs> Exactly. So I joined the HR corporate team. So again, I was uh, working in the HR team that looked after the support functions, which is a tiny part of the the machine that we know uh, McDonald's to be. So at the time when I was working there, 80% of the estate was franchised. So anything that was, was led by franchisees had their own independent HR helpline so my role was to support um you know 300 or so employees that worked in in the head offices of of London and in the UK how was that how was working for McDonald's different to working for Harrods so lots of things were the same big brands that have very very carefully uh, the think very carefully about the steps that they're taking because everything, um, any move that they make, they have to think about the brand uh, first. Um, but completely different um, in terms of clientele, the the customers that we're attracting, which obviously then informs the type of people that work for the organisation. And I joined at a really exciting time, so it was it was. 2012, McDonald's was one of the headline sponsors of the London 2012 Olympics. So I got to go to the Olympic Park and see the huge McDonald's restaurant that sat right in the centre of of the Olympic Park um, and was the springboard to, again, just a really exciting few years working for um, another big household name. Have you, slightly different question this one, even though you're not frontline, so you're not you're not marketing, you're not PR, you're not external comms, anything like that. As a HR professional working for all of these brands that you've worked for, are you very conscious of the work that you do and the fact that you know you're not working for John's Engineering down the road who employs you know two hundred people you're working for a global brand here and are you are you aware of that even as a HR professional and 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 does it impact how you go about doing your job I think so and I remember certainly speaking to people who were leaving McDonald's um, often what we'd hear is that you know the customer of McDonald's is very different to the employee and when you're dealing with such a huge organization that spans across the world and, and the customer is, is so diverse, you're dealing with so many different types of people within that organization as well. Um, and I think, again, what gave me such good experience in working for these big organizations was meeting all walks of life and having to navigate the HR function with with so many different types of people okay okay I don't want to I'm not going to delve too much about the the role of the HR generalist that you did there what 
what I want to kind of get out of you now is, is as we transition into the next phase of your career, which is into the business partnering, because I think this is the the interesting element of, of, about kind of your, I think this is probably where I really like talking to you as a person, because I, I feel as though, I mean, it's not as though we're, you know, we've known each other years, but the conversation that we have had, you know, it stood out so much just on that webinar that you were a part of. And this was I, you know, the only, you're the only person who I went straight to afterwards connected with and dropped you a message. You just, I don't know, there was something about you, you oozed knowledge and the points that you made were really valid. Your contribution was, was superb. And you just stood out head and shoulders above everybody, you know, me for one significant one, you were way above me, but the contribution that you had, I just thought was, was, was brilliant. So I'm really interested now about moving into this business partner phase and how you operate as an individual and what makes what makes a great business partner um, kind of in your eyes. They're they're the bits that we're going to kind of discuss. So so you're with McDonald's for for a you know a long time, quite a number of years. Why did you leave in the end? Was it was it a progression up to business partner to to kind of get that role? Did it not exist in in McDonald's or just no opportunities so I had my first child when I was at McDonald's and when I came back to work um it became clear within the first few months that I was going to have to sit in the seat I was in um before progressing and and for me knowing that I was going to go to work every day and leave my child in in a nursery I wanted to do something that would make me proud and make him proud and and I when I when I started to feel like there wasn't that progression for me as quickly as I wanted was actually the first time I started to feel guilty about going to work because I wasn't I wasn't fulfilling the the destiny that I I wanted to um, and why I started to to look at, at other opportunities. That's really interesting. So it's almost as though, look, if somebody else is going to look after my child all day long, I better be doing something bloody useful with, you know, with my time. Otherwise, I can't justify having to to go to work so that's a really interesting kind of mind shift that, that of, of, of looking at it that way um because a lot of people go to work to earn money to pay the bills to go home and spend the time rather than looking at it from a perspective like that it's quite interesting so it was really almost a, a, a kind of boot on the backside and a catalyst to go right come on get moving with your career now get going it was it was and um, that's when I was approached about the role at William Hill and where I really started to learn the value of relationships first. So when you talk about the transition from advisor to business partner, the key one for me that I learned in that role was that relationships come first. And I think the step change that you're making is um, from advisory to business partnership is you're not just regurgitating a policy now, you are turning that policy into into a thought process and providing that manager or that department with what you deem to be the options and and essentially your 
what you think is the the, the best option to take. So let's um, just go, let's just go back a slight step. So let's say let's say there's a graduate listening to this or or a HR administrator, and they 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 hear the term business partner. They maybe have a rough idea of what it is. How would you define what? Because we're kind of getting into it. What would you say the purpose of a business partner is within an organisation? It's the person who's standing shoulder to shoulder with managers, but is also the the voice of the people. Okay. Um, so so you you still need to be and act in in as much of an impartial position as you possibly can that supports the people, but also informs managers on how to to take the best steps forward for for both the business and and its people okay so managers would um you're assigned kind of business partner to maybe um a functional unit a department in some organizations you're just across the board and you then work with those managers where they you kind of look at the business go okay i want to get my department from here to there this is my goal and you then essentially partner with them to come up with strategies from a people-based perspective on, on how they can achieve that. Is that right? Exactly. And, and I think that having worked in team leadership roles early on in my career has helped me to, to, to act as a partner because it's very difficult to talk to a manager about how they want to manage their team or what what trajectory they see their team on when you haven't lived and breathed that management position yourself um and I think I think the step change you're making in a business partnership role is you've you've built the foundations of interpreting interpreting policy um understanding recruitment and understanding all of those HR processes to take all of those complexities and 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 help that manager see things in, in, in a simple way. Okay. How do you learn? I think, you know, you, you said the, the bit that helped you was kind of being a manager. Um, and, but it was early on in your career, you know, kind of part of the, the kind of the graduate um, element of it. Um, now as a, as a kind of people partner or a HR business partner, how do you, Moving from an advisor to a business partner, how do you then learn about how to deliver what they want? Is it do you do you talk to other people? Do you um, seek the advice from your line manager? Do you tap into the CIPD? Do you go on forums, read stuff, or is it just something that comes with time served in the role? It's probably all of those things, Martin, which is not entirely helpful. The CIPD is a big help. So there is the profession map, which I use with my team all the time, um, where you can essentially score yourself that says how much of a trusted advisor you are. Um, So what I do with my team is I literally pull out the profession map and say, this is where you are on this particular area of the wheel. And this is what you need to do to progress up up the up the ranks of 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 that particular segment of the wheel 
Um, so, so of course, so much of what I've learned in 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 my roles as as VP is on the job and making mistakes, and obviously have made a lot of those. Um, and also using using the tools of of the CIPD, as well as having incredible mentors both within the organisation and outside of the organisation who um, I've turned to when I'm not sure um, or want to to talk about something before putting it into action. Okay. Was there anything, was there like in that first business partner role um, at William Hill, was there something that you maybe look back on as like the biggest learning that you had in the early stages of it that that helped you? I think the role, particularly at William Hill, um, it was a regional role. So I was traveling up and down the country um, I had obviously a young a young child at home. The enormity of the role, I think, was was wasn't something I could sustain uh, long term. However, in the time I was there, um, it was it was a lot to do with with building relationships and talking to people and and being a human face to to HR and it not being just about about process, which. Again, is 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 what I uh, maintain is is the biggest step change is is applying uh, applying a common sense and a, a real life example to those policies to bring them to life. Yeah, I had a, a guest on um, recently, Katie Conan, who said the first thing that she does in in a new organisation is sets up meetings with her stakeholders, sits down with them, and just says what are your problems and and just ask them a very open question and from that get so much kind of back that that she can then start to kind of formulate okay right these are your pain points over a period of time we can start to work together to kind of alleviate those and and as you say it's kind of just talking isn't it We're, we're humans at the end of the day communication is the biggest one of the biggest tools that we have just go in and talk to people it is and we we in that role in particular we were on the road so we'd be in the car I'd be in the car with a an area manager or a regional manager and we would just talk about life uh, and of course about work um and that the the step changes is uh, and that I was beginning to make was was having the confidence to give my opinion on things and and feeling confident that my opinion mattered um for, for those managers I can't imagine you were someone who has ever struggled with confidence and you know I, I'm just saying that because you come across it like even when we you you know I was sat on the zoom call waiting and then you came in and you were like hi and it's like the, the you know exuberating <laughs> energy um and I just uh, you know every encounter that we've had I just get this you know bundle of energy kind of coming up with the other side of the screen from you and, and I love that as well and and often that would be associated with somebody who's quite confident um so that's the I just get this kind of confidence impression from you is that not the case um I well no I think we all have <laughs> we all have we all have the demons don't we that that tell us we're not good enough um and that um uh, we all have those days when we when perhaps there's imposter syndrome that's cre- creeping in and I'm guilty of all of those things where I think um I'm able to uh 
uh, appear confident and and optimistic and you know be people orientated as I'm just so fortunate to have an incredible network who who back me up so I, I don't I don't ever feel alone or isolated um, and I go out to my network if I'm not sure about something um, and they are my fan base and they, they they are the people who instill that confidence in me that tells me go for that promotion or go for that next move uh, when I'm not feeling as confident as, as I can be. So anybody who um, who looks at me and wonders where it comes from and, 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 and is looking for something um, to to instill their confidences, I hope they have a network of people who who can support them. And if, if they don't, and you know, another thing I do to um, raise my self-esteem is, is I listen to podcasts. So I'm not a big reader. Um, I, 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 I learn through podcasts. I, I exercise a lot. And that also builds up my confidence because I've started my day with something high energy. Um, so I have tools around me that make me or put me in a good place for the working day. Enough. I would anticipate you're a half glass full rather than a half glass empty kind of gal. Definitely. I think that and that that is forced upon you when you're a parent as well. You know, when you're dealing with tears and, and self-doubt in, in your children, um, you're forced really to, to to build up their confidence, which builds up your own confidence and and that life is great and we're so thankful to be healthy and happy. Um, and there's so much to be thankful for. And, and parenting definitely has turned whatever that glass looked like before to something that's definitely half full. Probably a glass of wine into a half full <laughs> glass of wine. <laughs> exactly. Definitely. OK, so I'm, I'm guessing the, the kind of the toll of that regional role and being in the car all the time and having the young family kind of took its toll. So then you moved to I always I'm never sure how to pronounce this. Is it Uniqlo? Uniqlo, yeah. Uniqlo, right. So you then moved to Uniqlo. Talk to me. What what was the what attracted you about that role? What was your remix? I always think a business partner role is a business partner role. A HR advisor role is a HR advisor role. But there's there's a remit. There's a context of okay. Well, we're bringing you in because we want you to do this. So what was that remit that you had there? So um, it was a, a funny story because I was at Royal Ascot with my dad and I got the call about the job at, at Uniqlo. And I was, a, I was a, a big fan of the brand before. I mean, I think I was probably wearing clothes from Uniqlo when I got the call. So it was a very easy yes for me to be uh, considering that role. And the the... the Obviously, it's a it's a Japanese brand, so um, I didn't really know what to expect when I went in for my first interview. Um, my first interview was with the HR director, and we just clicked straight away. He's still a very good friend of mine, um, and you know, I think we we need to be careful sometimes about you know working with like minded people and the the biases that can that can come from that. And I think you know that this particular person and I are different enough that we. We saw we saw that what we could balance each other out by doing in the role, um, and what what also tr- attracted me to that role was I, I worked shoulder to shoulder with the COO 
of uh, Uniqlo UK um, that was, again, just a, a great opportunity to work and was my first opportunity really to work with the head of an organisation and set the HR strategy um, w- with them. So, so I was, ma- again, making a step change to um, business partnership to, to HR strategy, which was just so exciting. Was this imposter syndrome surrounding you at this moment or did you feel actually no this is me I've got this interestingly interestingly no I didn't have um imposter syndrome because um going back to what we've spoken about already because I had built such a good foundation going into an organization that I could see needed to revisit some of its procedures and policies um, gave me um, the confidence that I could really add value to to the role. Okay. Did you, you you mentioned that it was a great um, head of HR, was that his title? It was an HR business partner role. No, Um, sorry, your your boss who you get on with very well, is he head of a HR director? Yeah, uh, HR director, yeah. HR director. Was there, because of that, great relationship with him and that rapport do you think that that helped you settle into that and and actually adapt into that role because you knew you um had that dynamic with him that you got on so well that it made it a little bit easier it did because the you know the organization had uh, and probably still has a, a, a very japanese focus so um I was always, when I was in the interviews, I was very curious about um, how that dynamic would work. But knowing how well we got on, uh, me and my 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 soon-to-be boss, um, a- enabled me to feel confident that it was it was something I would I would be able to do and do well. Was there was there a you know this Japanese influence? Was it? Um, did it weigh heavy on kind of how the organisation operated? um it's obviously I suppose as different to to maybe a British way of working so so the way in which they operate their stores if you've ever been into a Uniqlo store it is very different to what you'll see in a Gap or or an H&M and therefore the training and development within particularly the store staff is very unique how is it different Uh, I'm sure I've been in one but where I live, we don't have Uniqlo's. Um, we have, Jesus, we either have any shops. They're all shut down around where I live. Um, but I will have been in one at some point when I've been to a major city. But I, I can't recall how it's different. So mm-hmm. how is it different when you go in? So the, the model is built on a, a help yourself model. So rather than the, the customer service centric model you'll see in Harrods. So when you walk into a Harrods store, You'll expect to be greeted by someone within a nanosecond. Um, you will still be greeted by someone in a Uniqlo store, but you are also given uh, free Thanks. reign to to collect the items you want. There's no kind of stock room that would have what you need. It should all be out on the shop floor. Um, so with that, fosters a culture of you know real hard workers who are keeping the store beautifully immaculately clean um and also with all the stock um 
stocked up high within within the store. So this yeah, appeals to me. This is how I like to shop. I I hate being pounced upon when I go into a store because generally I'm just window shopping. So yeah. you know, how can I help you? No, I'm all right, thank you. I'm just looking. Next one, you know, go go around the corner. How can I help you? No, I'm all right, thank you. And yeah. it gets irritating after a while. Yeah, it, it definitely has a very loyal customer base for those who want to be left alone and they know their size and colour that they like and they can just walk in, collect what they need and leave. Um, and yes, it will be one of the first places I go when lockdown lifts and, and shops open because um, I'm, I'm still a huge fan of the brand. I think it might be one of the first places I go. I might have to drive down to London and find, we'll go together. There you go. We'll have, yeah. a, shopping, we'll have a shopping trip. Yeah. Okay. So um, so kind of going back to the purpose of this. Um, so you, you joined and your role was to step up and really focus around kind of HR strategy. So what does that mean? What When we talk about kind of HR strategy, what were you having to look at and and implement off the back of the creation of this strategy? Um, the, the biggest part of my role was workforce planning. So we had uh, a really exciting ambition to grow the business and to open more stores. So with that comes the need for more people, the need for more skills. Um, and from a, from a practical point of view, it's putting together lists and processes of, of if we want to be this size by this time what steps do we need to take this year next year and the year after to get there and what what can my team be doing to ensure managers are set up for success to achieve that ambition i i think from my experience um, both myself and from many business partners I, i've kind of met and supported you suddenly have to learn new skills that, that you know, being able to read um, financial information, be aware of, you know, headcount costs, um, overheads, being analytical, being able to generate reports, but then disseminate those reports into a, in a simple dashboard that you can present to um, the board or director or an LT, whoever it may be. Um and, and I guess just becoming more commercially sound, would you kind of agree with that, of, of kind of taking yourself from just a, I don't know how to say this, we're going to say something that would be taken in the wrong way, so I'm just going to rephrase it. Um, I guess not everybody maybe has the intrinsic capability to step up into a role like that because of the maybe the the complexity of not only the information you're looking at but all the kind of the nuances you know there's the the kind of political game that you're playing um and i mean that in a in a positive way of you know you do have to play a political game of knowing your stakeholders and and how to influence them and, and negotiate with them as well um would you kind of agree with that that is that you you morph into um, a very different person that maybe you didn't know you could be? I think so. And again, I've spoken about being true to yourself being so important. My biggest handicap is spreadsheets. I am just not a fan of the detail. Um, and 
again, when I think back to my role at Unipo, my boss was heavily detail orientated and um, he enabled me and, and helped me to turn uh, detail into something quite simple. So he had th- this incredible skill of making something quite complex being understood um, simply. And, and I and I just completely lapped that up. Um, and 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 certainly what I've taken forward into into my future roles has been um, I'll never claim to be the the Excel expert or the detail expert. And that actually, if I start to consume myself in the detail, I just get lost and and can't pull myself out again. So um, I make I make it my mission and have and have done in in, in my subsequent roles is to pull upon my network within the business who can make up for my shortfalls and and in return help them as well with 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 what I can bring to to their roles and that's that's really key I think that's a really good point because when we're not we you know we're not all experts everything are we I'm, I'm very much like you I'm you know detail is probably not my strength I weirdly what I have noticed since um setting up higher people's my own business I am great at ideas. I am. I've got. I you know ideas kind of written down here, there, and everywhere. And I never realised. I don't want to use that blue sky thinker, but I did, never realised kind of how creative I, I could be. Maybe I just wasn't in the right environments for it in the past. But it's something that I've learned. But I, I certainly know my failings, and I think that's sometimes fine. We we can't be great at everything. And sometimes it's just about accepting what your your weaknesses are, but then knowing how you compensate. So like you say, maybe you leveraging on somebody else who has a talent for that to, to deliver that piece and you can focus on something else. And likewise, you can then kind of repay the favour to them of where your strengths lie. Exactly. And um, it's going to take half the time if we work on the things that we're good at and delegate the things that we're less good at and we're likely to get to a better outcome as well. I guess sometimes that comes down to confidence as well, doesn't it? You know, admitting where we're not great and and trying to delegate that piece off rather than trying to be seen as the expert on everything. Yeah, exactly. And, and one thing that um, I've made and put in a very high regard, certainly in the latter years of my career so far, is to be upfront about that and to say when I'm not sure or to say when I don't know or I need further clarification, which I think is probably where I got it wrong in those early years um, in not asking those questions. So again, uh, one of my biggest piece of, pieces of advice is to just ask questions and, and get to get comfortable with, with the answers as well. Okay. Okay. And then you know, moving kind of through your career, you, 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 um, a couple of years ago, you then joined um, Lacoste as you, kind of your, your current role. Um, what's, again, you know, how is that role that you're doing or have been doing over the last couple of years different to what you've done before? So again, I was approached about the role when I was coming back to work after having my second son. And what attracted me to the role was, again, um, the opportunity to work with another chief exec 
who was completely different to what I had experienced at Uniqlo and what I could learn what I could learn from him and and I I certainly have in the in the time in the time that I've been in the role so far um because I think you know my my ambitions are to go on to be head of HR HR director and the and the the opportunities to work with um C-suite staff is is going to be uh you know the opportunity to to, to grow within my role would you say that um because you've worked for big powerhouses through your career um is this more of an entrepreneurial type mindset and environment then um that has maybe given you a different flavor that that you you've learned from I think in particular for the role I'm in now, I would say the entrepreneurial spirit is is very much a part of our, our DNA because we, you know, whilst we are Lacoste, we are we are a, a separate organization and we are just the, the footwear business. So we have had the the space to to make it our own and and it it's a relatively young organization. It started in 2018 um, as this joint venture. So we were able to operate in in a startup fashion um, in in those early years, which again just has given me a different um, a different string to my bow. That's been really exciting. Okay, fantastic. So looking looking back over your career, then, um, so somebody who wants to aspire to become a senior HR business partner, or you're certainly knocking, you know. In my humble opinion, I think you're very much knocking on the door of that that kind of next step up. Um, what advice would you give to the younger you or somebody who has aspirations to become um, a real senior business partner or, or head of HR? I think the key one for me that I wish I had told myself in my early years was that I should have focused on being respected rather than being liked. So a lot of people will go into the HR profession because they'll say they're people orientated, which I I very much am. Um, But it's not about um, trying to please everybody because by doing that, you'll please nobody. And I think that was um, a big part of my learning in in my younger years that um I've taken with me to learn in these more senior positions is that about sometimes making a tough decision that isn't going to be liked by everybody is that what you mean yes and and that and that can swing both ways the decision for the people or the decision for the business so often when when you're faced with those tough decisions you are going to have people that aren't going to like it um and that's really tough and certainly where um the days when I don't feel so confident um that those days I remember most um but hopefully by sticking to what I believe to be right and having um you know high high levels of integrity I've become a respected HR practitioner and it's I'm not I'm not I don't I, I'm not in these in these positions to be liked I hope that I am and I hope that I can uh, work with people who enjoy working with me um as well as uh, respect 
that I'm making the best decisions for for the people and the business. I think it's a really good point because no, well, there are people who go out to not be liked. I've I've met plenty of them, but the you'd like to think in the main most of us do like to be liked, and sometimes that can um, blur our interpretation of, of what should be done and sometimes you know we often hear the phrase don't we it's, you know it's not personal it's business and and I think that that does ring true a lot of people don't like that phrase but unfortunately when it comes down to the black and white of it it, it applies and and yes you can do it in a very tactful um, way and a very supportive and accommodating way and that definitely is the right way to do it but unfortunately sometimes you are going to um inflict disappointment sadness on 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 some of your your colleagues some of the workforce because of tough decisions that have to be made but ultimately they're decisions that have to be made so and making sure that people see your thought process as well because that will also help for you to be seen to be respected even if it's not necessarily the decision they wanted to hear do you mean in in that specific point? Do you mean is in terms of um, kind of open and transparent communication across the business about why this decision's being made, or maybe not across the business? If it's if it's a business wide issue, then yeah, across business. If it's a functional issue or an individual based issue, just open transparent communication as to look, this is why this is happening, and this is why we're going down this this kind of route exactly and just trying to be as transparent as you can be and sometimes um that's difficult in in confidential um situations but as soon as things can be made public or be spoken about um to to share that that level of transparency and that and that logic to why why that decision was made because again not everyone's going to like it, but they're more likely to respect it if they follow your trail of thought. Yeah. And I think that then loops back round into what you said at the very beginning, authenticity as well. Um, and I think that then incorporates kind of full circle back into that, I guess. But look, Deborah, thank you so much for coming on. That was brilliant. I've loved learning about, um, yeah, the, the journey that you've had, what you've picked up along the way, um, the lessons that you've learned um, and how you operate. So I really appreciate you you coming on and, and sharing your story with everybody. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. And there we have it. Another show done. Thank you for listening. If you do enjoy the show, please do like and review it on whichever platform it is that you listen to your podcast, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Google, um also why not tell a friend as well get them involved share the wealth around um feedback is greatly appreciated as well you can um reach me on linkedin any feedback is really really appreciated because that goes back into helping the show be what it is that you want um, and i can tailor it to make sure that i'm asking the questions that that you guys think are relevant but thanks again and see you next week
This podcast is brought to you by Hire People, a recruitment agency specialising in the HR and marketing professions. I've been an internal recruitment manager and a HR manager using the services of agencies. Some good, mostly poor. I've also been a job seeker who has been on the receiving end of poor service from every recruitment agency I've applied for a job through. It left me feeling despondent, non-supported and like a statistic. So I decided to do a Gandhi and be the change that I wanted to see in the world. Hire People was born from that desire to not only run a recruitment agency that has standards, but continuously drive those standards higher. This has come by offering a market-leading six-month 100% rebate, the innovation of a 3D CV concept that provides a video summary as well as the traditional CV for each candidate, and we place the focus on service, not sales. So if you're interested in working with us, get in touch and let's see how we can help you. And there we have it, another show done. Thank you for listening. If you do enjoy the show, please do like and review it on whichever platform it is that you listen to your podcast, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Google. Um, Also, why not tell a friend as well? Get them involved. Share the wealth around. Um, Feedback is greatly appreciated as well. You can um, reach me on LinkedIn. Any feedback is really, really appreciated because that goes back into helping the show be what it is that you want um, and I can tailor it to make sure that I'm asking the questions that, that you guys think are relevant but thanks again and see you next week